this is a general comment, but I still feel like researchers need more training when it comes to make their research accessible. We all find it important and we, I mean, we as society think that scientists should invest time and energy in sharing science. But on the other hand, I also think, well, but then you also need some training in that to, to improve their skills because it is a new skill, like writing scientific articles is a skill you also uh, need to be trained in how to share your science with a broad audience, yeah. Welcome to the 57th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeroen. Hi. Today, we're going to talk about how to make your thesis more approachable for a broad audience. And we're going to talk with an expert in this area, Lisa Cornett. She makes a really cool magazine out of PhD thesis, and we are super excited to talk with her. So let's start. Welcome, Lisa, and thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Yes. Thank you for the invitation. It's very nice to have you as a guest. Uh, and we're, of course, very interested to talk about our topic of today of how to uh, make your thesis more approachable for the general, general audience. But before we get started with that, we would like to ask you to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners. Who are you? Do you have any fun or weird hobbies? And uh, what do you do? And what is your expertise? <laughs> wow, a lot of questions. Yes. <laughs> well, first, it's an honor for me to be on your uh, on your podcast show. Uh, actually, I didn't know that the struggling scientists exist before you reach out, but now <laughs> I know that this exists. This platform exists. I'm very enthusiastic about it, and it's great that we share this passion for science communication. Um, but my name is Lisa Cornet. I'm from the Netherlands, and I used to be a scientist. For more than 10 years, I obtained a PhD degree in neurocriminology at the Free University in Amsterdam. And after that, I worked as a postdoc researcher for a couple of years. And during my career as a scientist, I always loved to communicate about science. And two years ago, I decided, all right, I wanted to work on science communication full time. So I quit my job as a scientist and I started my own company, Studio Wetenschap. Um, so that's a bit about my background and well, you ask for some fun or weird hobbies. Um, I think yoga, running, cycling are not that weird, um, but uh, just a fun fact, maybe maybe good to know, I was a very quiet child <laughs> and uh, my parents always said that I could sit easily for an hour and just do and say nothing and just observe my surroundings. And they were a bit worried, but... I think in hindsight, that sort of indicated already at a quite early age that I just like to observe and learn. And mm -hmm. I think that's a nice characteristic of, of being a scientist later on in, in my life. And um, maybe another fun fact that I'm quite interested in spirituality. And maybe oh. that is sort of fun or weird, considered that I used to be a scientist. But for me, it's a re really nice combination to also find the balance between mind and body and between rationality and intuition. So, uh, yeah, cool. that's just all yeah. facts about me. <laughs> nice. So you also mentioned that, that you started your own company re with regards to helping PhD students communicate their, their, their thesis. What made you actually decide to make that switch and get started with helping PhD students communicate their thesis and... I guess maybe a sort of a follow-up question to that is, do you think the thesis is already a good way to communicate your research uh, in general? Yeah. So with regard to the motivation, my personal motivation to switch careers and help other uh, researchers to communicate about their research project. Well, actually, everything I do um, 
in terms of helping other scientists to communicate about their work is based on my own experiences as a researcher and also based on my own frustrations as, as, a, as a researcher and also based on, on what I noticed among my, my research colleagues at that time. Um, and just to, to give you an example, because by the time I finished my PhD project, I got my book, of course, my thesis, and I was super proud that I finished the project and I, and I ordered uh, 200 thesis uh, of, of these books. And um, I was super happy to hand them out to family members and friends. And every time I handed a, a piece out, I also said to my family members and friends, well, you don't have to read it. And I noticed that I was not on my own. My colleagues also, or a lot of colleagues also told others, well, here's my book, but you don't have to read it. Um, and then later, many years later, actually, I realized that's kind of weird. Why do we accept this sort of, this way of sharing science in this, in this thesis format? Um, I mean, it's, it makes sense to get together all your articles. Uh, I think most cases people get together the articles in a book and then uh, finish in that way, finish their PhD project. But if you talk about sharing science, especially sharing science with a broad audience, then I think a thesis is, is not, uh, not the ideal tool to communicate about your, your project. So I started thinking, can we do things differently? And in the years after my PhD project, I came across a few examples of sort of magazines uh, that were based on PhD thesis. Um, but these magazines were quite often made for um, special occasions. So, for instance, I went to a conference and then there was a special magazine made, made for that, that special occasion. Um, and I thought maybe we can create a more sort of structured format. So there's a real like a real structured magazine. So uh, to translate all kinds of, of PhD projects into that magazine. And actually that sort of motivated me um, to work on it and to build on this ID into sort of a real product, so to say. And uh, I tested it out on a friend of mine because she was about to defend her PhD thesis. And I tested this ID out and it worked. So, and she was very happy with the results. So that, there I thought, okay, then this could work for, for other PC students as well. And in the meantime, almost 20 magazines have been made. Yeah. Yes, nice. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jadon is actually, uh, well, when this comes out, only a few days away from his PhD defense on the 14th. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> and indeed, he also handed out his thesis with the comment, like, just look at the, the art in it and then the rest you don't have to. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's also a lot of countries where they don't even uh, hand it out as a, as a complete booklet. It's really up to yourself if you print it out. Here in the Netherlands, of course, we really make a booklet out of it and very fancy and with art on the cover and on the inside. Which is yeah. really cool, but I don't think indeed it's the best way to communicate it to the to the broad audience. And uh, yeah, we personally think that the magazines that you make are a really cool and innovative way to do science communication, basically. And the ones that Thank we have you. seen on your website look really great. But what does that process look like? How do you how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. So this whole whole process, of course, I polished it in in the in the last two years. But now I have a very structured way uh, to, to create these, these magazines. So in total, it takes about 10 weeks to produce one magazine from beginning to start, actually from the first contact with the PhD students until yeah, mm. having a printed version in your hands. And it all begins with an online interview of one and a half hours. So I interview the PhD candidate about his or her project. And in, during that interview, I have a quite strict format 
with interview questions uh, that that I know work to get really sort of uh, to the core of of the of the research project. And what I I do, and maybe we'll I'll say a bit more about this later on. But what I really do during this interview, I really need to understand what is the whole problem behind this project. What was the reason that you started this research project uh, initially? And also, of course, we talk about the main findings, the methods, um, and some uh, future considerations. But I think what's also important to highlight is that in addition to all these sort of factual information, I also try to dive into sort of more personal aspects uh, of this PhD project. So I'll also ask the PhD candidates. So maybe were there any personal changes in terms of your opinion or your ideas or insights during the whole project? Because I, I find it fascinating to also know more about the, the, the researcher and to also feel like, is there something, a real of a personal message that you want to share with, with a broader audience in addition to the, the, to the factual information? So actually, I, I also give some space for the, the voice of the scientist, so to say. Mm -hmm. um, now, after this one and a half hour interview, I start drafting uh, the first version of, of the text. So I start with the text and usually in two revision rounds, we can finish the, the text. So the, the scientist, the researcher is happy with the, the text version. And once the, the text is finished, then a professional designer with whom I uh, collaborate a lot um, designs the whole magazine. And for the design, we always use um, the cover, the design of the cover of the PhD thesis itself as a starting base, as a starting point. And then we add some nice images and an infographic, and then it all comes together as a really nice, attractive mm -hmm. magazine. And finally, there's also the option to add a QR code at the back of the magazine. So that's used so the, the, the PC candidate can sort of link this whole magazine to the, the PC, the original PC thesis. And I think that's also very helpful for the researcher because then you can always sort of show that this was actually whole based on the original thesis. And, mm. and if, if readers are interested, they can actually uh, look mm. up more, of course, information about the project. Um, and then the the researcher has the opportunity to to print the this this magazine. It's it's optional. Uh, it will always be put online, so it's always uh, shareable with with a link. But people can print it, and I think well, ninety percent uh, choose this option to print it because it's of course it's very nice to hand out this like a physical product after you you finish this PhD uh, project and. I think some people uh, print the, the magazine in 50 pieces, and there's also some researchers who uh, request 750 <laughs> pieces. So there's a, quite a range, but uh, but it's it's great. I mean, that's sort of this is really this is really about sharing science uh, with, yeah. with a broad audience. Yeah. So and I think in every case, these researchers were so happy with the end result and. But I felt like I can finally now share my my knowledge with family members and friends, but also with maybe uh, practitioners or policymakers, and not only with my direct colleagues. So um, for them, it's really helpful to share what they did in the past uh, past years. Yeah. No, definitely. And I was also actually thinking. So uh, this is a problem that I'm currently struggling with as I'm preparing for my thesis as well is how do I break down some information, uh, the entire information of even, let's say, one chapter of my thesis into a 10-minute layman talk. 
uh, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually wondering, how do you manage to break down all the important information? Because I think a lot of scientists and researchers tend to be as descriptive as possible in their thesis, as many words as well, possible. How do detailed. you detailed? Let's de- call it detailed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Verbose. <Yeah. laughs> Um, How do you manage to break down all that information into the really the core essentials and how do you keep it concise enough to to still be appealing to a broad audience uh, with the magazine? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair question. And and I think it's, I mean, I think a lot of scientists are struggling with it, myself included, because just just to to give you a little bit of background, I started with this magazine and I started with my own thesis. So I actually gave myself the exercise to translate my whole thesis into a magazine just to try it out. And I struggled a lot with it. So I, I noticed that sort of getting your own story, your own PhD thesis into a really compelling version, it's super difficult to do because you're so used to, to talk about the details and all the nuances and all the jargon. So it's very hard. So what I'm trying to say is that when it comes to your own work, it, it's quite hard. And maybe you are even able to, to translate others your colleagues work but this is really because you're so caught up in in your project mm-hmm. um but coming back to your question how can you uh, uh, get to the core of your 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 research material and and the content of your, your thesis well i think in in my case i think here comes in my experience and my passion for writing and also my passion for understanding complex matters and of course that took some years to to get sort of experience in that but what I, for, for instance, do when it comes to this process of, of writing this, this magazine, I always start with reading the Dutch summary. So that is, for me, that is the, the starting point. And during the interview, I always keep in mind that I should be able to share this information that was given to me by the researcher, which, for instance, my mom or with a friend who is a non-academic. So I always keep that in mind uh, during this, this interview. So for me, that is sort of the, the basis. To be able to translate this, this uh, the whole content into an accessible uh, manner later on, and then what's also a very important thing that I keep in mind is that during the interview I have with the researcher, I really need to dive deep into the details of the problem behind the project, of what problem is underlying the whole PhD project. So, what is sort of the why behind the research and if that is unclear to me, then it's super hard to write about the research project. So, yeah, and then it's also hard for me to convince the reader that it is mm. important to read this magazine. And I think a lot of scientists maybe forget to talk about the why behind their project, because it's so obviously for you why you did this research. But this is the information your audience need before they can sort of well, follow you along in, in the story. So I really dive deep into what is the reason that you conducted this research. I should really understand this. It should be really clear to me. And then, then we move on to the method section, and then we discuss it very globally. I don't need to hear all the details. Uh, and that's sort of, I mean, I know that for researchers, uh, it's quite hard to to be concise here because if you look back at your research project, the method sections and conducting your research, I mean, probably you spend most time about conducting your research, right? And then it's sort of tempting to share most information related to how you did your research. So that how is quite, gets a lot of attention, uh, hmm. most obvious. But here, I just ask researchers, just give me the, the headlines. I mean, we need to show that you did decent research, but your audience doesn't need to know all the details of it. And then when it comes to the results, I asked the scientists to share everything they found in their projects. 
I listened to it. And then after, the, after they finished, I asked them to rephrase it and summarize it into the three main results. So sort of to recapture it and categorize the results so you can actually share it in three main results because it's quite hard for an audience to follow all these difficult and quite often, well, as a scientist, you find many different results, but it's super hard to follow that for, for, for a broad audience. So my advice would always be to, to summarize it into three main uh, findings. And then uh, I asked the researchers, okay, so what, what's next? What do we need to do now? What, what are your hopes and wishes for the future? And here I try to stay away from uh, more research is necessary. Mm. Um, of course, always more research is necessary. But in this magazine, I really try to, to focus on what are the societal effects now or what do you hope that the societal effects will be in, in the future? Yeah, so I'm not sure if this really answered your, your question, but maybe if you feel like, oh, I want to well, translate my PhD thesis into a compelling um, story. Maybe it's helpful to ask a colleague and then have a conversation with your colleague. And maybe your colleague can ask you questions. So for you, it's helpful to get down to the core of your project mm -hmm. because doing it on your own, is, it's super hard. And, and I think it's a skill on itself to, to translate your knowledge into accessible, accessible language. Um, yeah, it's, it's a skill. You need training actually for that. But in this case, I would advise you to maybe sit down with a, with a colleague. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes, or maybe even a friend, somebody yeah, who maybe is, your friend, yeah. yeah, who can ask you questions. Maybe you can write down the questions yourself, and these are basic questions. So, okay, so what was the, uh, why did I start this project? What was the underlying problem? What mm. did I find? How did I get to these results? So these questions are quite basic, but if let someone ask you the questions and then see if that person, a friend, indeed understands what you're saying. So it can be a nice exercise. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I also always like think. What if I would have to explain this to my mom or to a friend? But as a fundamental researcher, it just becomes difficult quite fast. But uh, it's definitely a fun challenge to try out. And I guess also realize a bit more about the societal impact than is of your research and why it is so important. That's always a good yeah. thing to think about. Yeah, actually, that's also a side effect of this interview itself. Because even before I've started writing the text, the interview itself already gives the researcher so much information and insight in his or her own pre-research project. So uh, quite often get the feedback that the interview itself was already super helpful to better understand uh, the own research project. And mm. I think that that's actually uh, on itself, the interview on itself can, can also be a tool mm. to help scientists to, to sort of translate their, their, their jargon and their scientific language into daily uh, yeah. language. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers, 
Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. So I believe that right now you only make these magazines in Dutch, right? And yeah. that you're not planning on making them in English? Uh, yeah, not very soon. No. That's, yeah, that's because my native language is mm. Dutch. And of course, my well, scientifically, English is, is fine. But really getting to daily language, that's quite hard for me. Mm. So uh, that means that our listeners have to get started themselves. A lot of them, <laughs> at least. Not necessarily with a magazine, but any cool way of translating it, the thesis would of course be a, a fun thing to do. Do you have any tips or tricks for PhD students who want to translate their thesis into a more understandable format? And are there any challenges you have run into that you can warn them about? Yeah, this this is I think this is maybe the most difficult question. But um of course I can share some tips and tricks. I think like I mentioned before, I think be aware that um if you want to translate your knowledge into an accessible or make it accessible to, to a broad audience and really focus first on the why of your project. So what's the problem? And uh, what if you didn't do this research? What would what happened then in that situation? And whom is sort of benefiting from your research? So really focus on these aspects for, first and make that very clear for yourself before you continue with the rest. And then, like I said before, uh, don't dive into the details when it comes to the methods section keep that very limited and, and global don't share all, all the all the, the details uh, yeah like i said and then when it comes to findings ideally summarize that that in three three main findings but i think also very important advice i would share is to also make it personal um, and maybe not every uh, uh, format is suitable for that but if you write a text let's say if you would like to write a blog post about your pc thesis then I would always advise you to not only stick with the factual information because it's not only boring uh, in the end to only read factual information, but we also know that when it comes to communication, factual information is not very effect effective. If you want to reach people, if you maybe want to change their, or want to teach them new insights or, or well, change their ideas about a topic, then then only factual information is not very effective. So see if you can make it more personal. So. Maybe what surprised you during your research project? Or what, were there any changes in your ideas or opinions? Or what insight did you take from your project? And what hopes or wishes do you have for the future? And this can be um, combined with factual information. I think a lot of scientists feel like, well, I need to stick with factual information. I mean, yes, that's important. But on the side, you can still share your own thoughts about the project and your own insights. And I think that's very interesting to read for a broad audience. No, for yes. sure. What do you think have been some of the benefits of spending time on translating your, your thesis to a more understandable language for a broader audience? And do you have any examples of the theses you worked on that really benefited from this a lot? Yeah, so actually I sent out a questionnaire quite recently um, to the researchers who um, asked me to create a magazine for them to get some feedback on actually this question. So what, what benefited from you? Uh, and not only in 
sort of the ability to share science with, with family members and friends, but was there more in it for you also as a researcher? And then most researchers thought, told me that this whole process of creating the magazine really helped them to prepare for their PhD defense and especially for their layman talk. Uh, actually, the, the whole magazine is sort of a layman talk in itself, actually, in, also in, in, in length, in terms of words. So they already are, they are finished when it comes to their layman talk, and that's, that's really great. But I also heard that, like I said before, a lot of researchers told me that actually they, the interview itself was already an eye-opener, or it was, had a function of an eye-opener for them, because it helped them to better understand the core of their own research project. I also feel like the whole process of creating this magazine can also stimulate or maybe reactivate your enthusiasm mm. for your research project because uh, maybe you've recognized this feeling, but at the end of your PhD project, you feel like you're so stuck in this material and you can't see it anymore. But talking about your project in a different way, in a more accessible way, also I notice that a lot of researchers feel like the, the enthusiasm is coming back and the passion they have for their project uh, years ago is sort of fired up again, so to say. And I think in addition to this, uh, creating the whole magazine also prepares you for um, media uh, context. So if, if a journalist will call you and ask some questions about your project, now with the help of the magazine, you're more prepared to talk about it in a concise way. And I think this is important because it also can help to avoid any mm. misunderstandings mm. or misinterpretations by the media. So if you are able to talk about your research project in an understandable way, then of course it helps a journalist to write an article that is close to your true story uh, than if you talk about your project in a quite difficult and, and, and using a lot of jargon, then, then the journalist in this case has to make an own, own story, uh, attractive story uh, about it mm. or out of it. So, so having a version an accessible version helps you also to, to avoid any misunderstanding or misinterpretation. No, um, indeed. Yeah. I actually love that because that's a skill that's not only relevant for your PhD or your PhD thesis, but it could also translate to your postdoc or even yeah, becoming definitely. a professor in the later stages. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, uh, if uh, anybody, a PhD student, postdoc, uh, is interested in doing science communication, perhaps during your PhD, what would you advise them to do or get started with? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's a nice question. And I think here I, I sort of get some, well, I, I, this is based also on my own experiences. So when I was a PhD student, I loved to experiment with different formats, different science communication formats. I tried out videos. I tried out blog posts. Um, I just played around with PowerPoint and, and well, experimented with slide design, posters. And for me, it really helped me to find out what kind of science communication format I really liked and really sort of, yeah, where my skills could sort of. Hmm. So for me, it really helped to, to find out what I really like to do and yeah, where I can really sort of uh, show my passion for science communication. Mm -hmm. I, for instance, I love to, to write. So blog posts, for instance, for me, it was really uh, a nice thing to, to share science. Um, and also, when I was PhD students, I uh, got the opportunity to help, for instance, other PhD students when it came to their, well, designing their PowerPoint presentation or their posters. I was really willing to help others. And for me, that I just got experience through doing that. Mm. But I would always advise other PhD students, if you're willing to, to get started with science communication, then 
see if you can enroll in specific activities for instance a pitch or a presentation competition i joined uh, a couple of pitch and presentation competitions and for me it was not only helpful to boost my presentation skills but also for instance winning or joining at least a competition um yeah it gives you so much experience and you get to know other these students who are also enthusiastic about science communication so it's really nice also for your for your network and for instance in the netherlands there is this group called faces of science mm -hmm. and that's a special group for pc students who are uh, enthusiastic about science communication um, but they also can get training and workshops with regard to science communication. I was member of science, uh, sorry, phases of science when I was a PhD uh, student. And for me, it really helped. And then I think in the end, this really sort of nurtured my passion for science communication and led to the decision to quit my job as a researcher and start my own uh, science communication company. And then maybe the final advice is to seek if you can find some funding for science communication activities. I looked it up and actually today, at two o'clock, there was a <laughs> deadline, an NWO uh, call that closed today, but I'm sure that uh, later on this year or maybe next year, there will be some new funding. But there is now, uh, since I think one or two years, there's some special funding for science communication activities. So if you're interested, I think it could be really helpful to get some funding and really put your ideas into practice. Yes. Yeah, we have also seen some come by uh, about talking about your own research and then getting funding for that. Yeah, indeed. That's really cool. Doesn't apply yeah. to us, sadly. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, in these stages anymore. But. No. Yes. Um, yeah, so we we talked now about uh, trying to translate your, your thesis a lot to, to, the, the, to the, let's say, everyday audience. But do you have any advice or suggestions on how to do that as well for published papers? Because I see often, for example, on LinkedIn, there, there are people who are like, my paper has been published. It's on this. I thank all my committee members and that's it. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions yeah. for that? Yeah, I think many of the tips and tricks I, I provided earlier are, I think, applicable to a published paper too. Um, specifically to this case of LinkedIn, I need to, to think about it more in depth but actually i want to provide an online course about uh, about writing linkedin posts and sharing mm. your published paper because not only the content is important but for instance also the image mm. that you uh, uh put online um but i think it's really uh helpful if you again if you first state why this research was important and then uh tap into what are the main findings what are the main results but especially also focus on what does this mean to the world or to society who will who or what can benefit from this research so highlight these these aspects um yeah i think these are are the main uh, topics um maybe also i i really uh, like to explore the options with chat gbt mm -hmm. um not sure if you have discussed that on the podcast episode before but of course, it's a very useful tool uh, also for scientists if you are struggling, for instance, you have your abstract of a published paper and you're struggling how to make that accessible. Well, why not use these these tools like ChatGBT to, to make it more accessible? Maybe not to just literally copy paste mm. it, but just to get some inspiration. Ah, I can say that in a different way and make it more compelling. And uh, so I see it more as an inspiration uh, for yeah. you, but you still have to be actively think of how you actually want to share that, that content, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really love that suggestion to use ChatGPT. Um, especially now in the later stages of like the PhD, I've sort of bounced ideas off of it to like how can I better 
uh, summarize this for for our talk and indeed to get some inspiration from it. Uh, so nice. I can definitely recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, super nice. And I think, of course, the tool is out there, but still you need to know how to use mm. it. Uh, actually, that is also a topic I would like to dive into more and to help scientists how they can use AI in a way uh, to to well in, improve your science communication skills because it's still a tool that can help you to improve your skills. I think in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, not only to copy paste it, uh, but you know how to, yeah, you need to know how to use it. Mm -hmm. But it's nice if you already uh, start using it. Yeah. Oh, yes, for sure, for the podcast also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, it's great. I mean, of course, there are also some dark sides mm. when it comes to AI. But it can help, for example, when we prepare for an episode, uh, come up with 20 questions we can ask about this and this topic. Yeah. And then we yeah. don't use the exact questions, but it is, of course, really helpful to not miss out on sort of the 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 useful questions that you tend to forget like the the obvious ones that are you are like oh yeah no everybody knows that but you should really ask them so it can yeah, be really yeah, helpful it's very helpful yeah yeah in addition to ChatGPT, because jerry you asked me what can you do to share uh, information about your published paper i think this is a general comment but i still feel like researchers need more training when it comes mm -hmm. to make your research accessible and i i feel like we all find it important and we, I mean, we as society think that scientists should invest time and energy in, in, in sharing science. But on the other hand, I also think, well, but then you also need some training in that. So I mm. still, there's still a need uh, for research to get more more training to, to improve their skills because it is a new skill. Like writing scientific articles is a skill. You also uh, need to be trained in how to share your science with a broader yeah. audience. Yeah. Yeah, we recently also saw on Twitter a thread that basically went viral about, I think, a professor that wrote about the paper that they just published in a very accessible thread format, because that's what you do on Twitter. Very mm -hmm. much about, like, these were the, the main results, this is what why that's relevant, and with some images in it. And it, it, it got way more rich than you would expect out of a small small account not super small but still mm -hmm. uh, showing that there's really also a wish for people to to read about this and to to see it more so i definitely think it's a good option for people to try it out yeah yeah what's next for you with regards to science communication yeah well uh, i have a lot of uh, still a lot of ideas that i would like to bring into to practice so the magazine is just one product i'm working on but right now i'm also uh, working on an online academy uh, where i'm going to uh, put on online courses to help scientists boost their science communication skills and these courses very vary in topics so for instance related to slide design but also stage presence social media how to use social media as a scientist pitch and presentation skills and uh, one of the trainings I provide also is how to prepare for your PhD defense because uh, I think that uh, a lot of scientists feel like how to prepare for it and your colleagues quite often say well don't worry you're the expert and that's very nice but not very helpful so I decided <laughs> to create uh, an online course to help PhD researchers prepare for their PhD defense yeah so a lot okay. of things are still coming up I have a lot of ideas and again still based on my own experiences as, as a PhD student and as a postdoc researcher, I can still sort of rely on these experiences. Mm. And, and I think it's also really helpful for me to, well, coming from this, having a scientific background, knowing sort of what are the fears and obstacles that researchers experience when it comes to science communication, because there's also a lot of fear when it comes to, to uh, reach out. And 
since I understand and experience these, these obstacles and fears myself, I can really think of, okay, so what can I do to help researchers to make their research accessible and to actually, in the end, of course, make impact. So actually make use of their knowledge, because in the end, that's what it's all about. Why would you invest energy and time in science communication? Well, that's because you want to create impact. You want your knowledge to be used by those who can actually change society or, or, or the world, problems mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. Yes. So if people would like to find you and check out more, more awesome stuff that you're up to and you're planning on doing, where, where should they go to do so? And uh, yeah, can you tell us? Yeah, well, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So uh, Lisa.cornet, you can follow me uh, there. No, I think it's Lisa Cornet. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> uh, yeah, I, I post regularly and uh, I share some tips and tricks and blog posts. I'll also put it on LinkedIn. On my website, you can also find uh, information and, of course, read my blog post. And I, since a month, I have a newsletter. So you can subscribe for a newsletter and then you receive uh, every month or every two months, you receive new updates also about, for instance, new magazines uh, or things I read that I think are interesting to share with other researchers. Um, yeah, maybe one cool e upcoming event to share is that I'm organizing a scientific Pachacucha contest in November this year in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Yeah, so so in case you wonder what's the Pachacucha, um, it's, it's actually a Japanese presentation style. Uh, and this is a very short way of presenting your work because you're forced to present your work in exactly six minutes, 40 seconds, which means that you have 20 slides that are each displayed for 20 seconds. So it really forces you to uh, well, focus on timing, to be concise and, and also compelling, and also to focus on visual storytelling. So how are you going to use these 20 slides uh, efficiently? I once uh, joined a particular contest myself, and for me, it was a really valuable experience. So this is something I would like also to, to well bring to, to other researchers. So if you feel like, yay, um, I find it really cool to share, to talk about my research project. If you want to boost your presentation skills, then you are all invited to, to subscribe as a speaker. Deadline is June 30. Um, and subscription means that you have to hand in a short pitch about your research project and then six speakers will be selected. So, yeah, I think it's a cool event for those who are willing to, to learn more about sharing science in, a, in an accessible uh, way. Yes, that sounds very cool. Um, now for our listeners, we of course also want to let you know that if you do make anything above of your thesis and you want to share it with more people, you can also reach out to us because we're always happy to share it on our social media channels. Okay, Lisa, <laughs> thank you so much for being in our podcast today. And, oh, thank um, you for having me as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a lot of fun talking to you. And if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, you can research via our website, thestrugglingscientist.com. Uh, you can also check out our website for some really cool science-inspired merch and to sign up for the awesome journal, The Struggling Scientist, aka our newsletter. And if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, then leave us a rating on your favorite podcast listening, listening platform as it uh, really helps us grow. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. Jana, which one are those again? Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube. Yes. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.